This podcast episode contains crimes against children and content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we'll be talking about a type of crime that is considered so rare, it begs the question, what would cause someone to do something so horrendous? Maternal filicide is a term used to describe when a mother murders her own child or children. In a 2007 article titled, Child Murder by Mothers, Patterns and Prevention, Philip J. Resnick, psychiatrist and co-author, explain that filicidal mothers tended to have, and I quote, frequent depression, psychosis, prior mental health treatment, and suicidal thoughts. In his article, he goes on to explain that maternal filicide perpetrators have five major motives. In an altruistic filicide, altruistic meaning to show a disinterest and selfless concern for the well-being of others, a mother kills her child out of love. She believes death to be in the child's best interest. For example, a suicidal mother may not wish to leave her motherless child to face an intolerable world, or a psychotic mother may believe that she is saving her child from a fate worse than death. In an acutely psychotic filicide, a psychotic or delirious mother kills her child without any comprehensible motive. For example, a mother may follow command hallucinations to kill. When fatal maltreatment filicide occurs, death is usually not the anticipated outcome. It results from cumulative child abuse, neglect, or Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Munchausen syndrome by proxy is a mental health problem in which a caregiver or parent makes up or causes an illness or injury in a person under his or her care, such as a child, an elderly person, or someone suffering from a disability. In an unwanted child filicide, a mother thinks of her child as a hindrance. And lastly, the most rare motive, spouse revenge filicide occurs when a mother kills her child specifically to emotionally harm that child's father. When we hear about this type of crime happening, we immediately think, how could she do that to her children? What could have possibly driven her to that point? Many times the signs are there, but sometimes the pieces are put together when it's far too late. In our society, we view mothers as being infallible, as being selfless. It's hard to believe that a mother could do anything to purposely harm her children, but we'll be discussing a couple of cases where two seemingly good and loving mothers do just that and commit the unimaginable. Be sure to head over to thecrimeshack.com for all available episodes and show notes, and also like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Christy Bird, born May 2, 1974, grew up in Decatur, Alabama. She met Jason Ray Sheets, born on June 24, 1971, who lived not far from her in Trinity, Alabama. They married when they were in their 20s, and eventually moved to the 6,000 block of Remsen Hotlow in Katy, Texas, a suburb of Houston, and had two daughters, Taylor Ashton and Madison Tyler. Katy, Texas is a city about 30 miles west of Houston with approximately 19,000 residents. 
In 2016, Jason was a senior consultant at Occidental Petroleum, an international oil and gas exploration and production company with operations in the United States, Middle East, Latin America, and Africa, and had worked as a software developer and consultant over the past 12 years. Christy had worked part-time at Clean Canvas Laser, a tattoo removal company, but was laid off in 2015. She had previously owned her own business, Patches and Pink Pickles, and had also worked as an executive assistant, marketing assistant, and a hairstylist. On June 7, 2012, Christy's grandfather, whom she was very close to and had been a role model to her, passed away. Only two months following his death, Christy's mother also passed away on August 20, 2012. Christy took their deaths extremely hard, and according to Jason, she began to spiral. Christy, an only child, then lost her grandmother, the only family member she had left, at the end of February of 2014. Christy had always struggled with depression over the course of their marriage, but the years following the deaths of her closest family members posed new challenges. Over the next several years, Christy sought out treatment with various mental health facilities. Although she was seeking treatment, 14 calls to authorities had been received from their home, and that included three calls due to suicide attempts made by Christy. Even with the multiple 911 calls, there was no indication that Christy would act out towards her family in a violent manner. Jason had told authorities that Christy had been taking several medications for anxiety and depression and that she'd been seeing a therapist, but he didn't have any information about her medication regimen or how they may or may not have affected her mental stability. He also told authorities that she had become a heavy drinker. After several years of having issues and having separated previously in their marriage, Jason and Christy's marriage began to decline. As for their two daughters, their lives seemed to be progressing towards their futures normally. In 2016, Madison was heading into her senior year at Seven Lakes High School, where she was a member of the National Honor Society and the Spanish National Honor Society, and she often volunteered with the Spartans Out Serving Club at her high school. Her older sister Taylor had graduated from Lone Star College with an associate's degree and had recently enrolled at the University of Houston to pursue an undergraduate degree in medical diagnostic sonography. Taylor was also in the midst of planning a wedding. She was engaged to her boyfriend of four years, Juan Sebastian Lugo, and was planning on getting married on June 27, 2016. Taylor and Juan had planned a small ceremony with a larger celebration to be held once Taylor finished her studies at the University of Houston. On Friday, June 24, 2016, Taylor, excited about her upcoming marriage ceremony that following Monday, got into an argument with her mother, Christy, about the wedding plans. Christy wasn't the least bit happy about Taylor planning to wed Juan and tried to discourage her from going through with it by grounding her from seeing her fiancé. Jason told Christy that he didn't agree with grounding Taylor as she was 22 years old. The same day, which was also Jason's 45th birthday, he decided that he was essentially done with his marriage to Christy and told her that 
this would be the last birthday that you were going to ruin and that he wanted a divorce. Following the disagreement about Taylor's wedding and the mention from Jason that he wanted to pursue a divorce, Christy told her family that she wanted to have a family meeting with them that afternoon in their living room. Jason assumed the meeting was to tell their daughters about the impending divorce that they had discussed. It was around 5 p.m. when Christy gathered Jason and their two girls in the living room. Christy began the discussion by reaching down in between the sofa cushions and pulling out a five-round 38 caliber revolver, a gun which had been handed down to Christy by her grandfather. Jason later told investigators that Christy had previously applied for a license to carry, but the application had been denied. Officials were unsure if it was denied based upon her mental history. The 38 revolver was not, however, the only gun in the residence. Authorities found multiple handguns in the home. Christy was also a known supporter of the Second Amendment and would make public postings on Facebook in support of it, saying that she needed a gun to protect her family. As Christy stood in their living room, holding the revolver, she immediately pointed it towards her husband and told him, You made me do this. You're making me do this. In the middle of their mother pulling out the gun, Madison managed to call 911. Madison was unable to speak directly with the dispatcher, but you can hear Jason and the girls pleading for Christy to put down the gun. The voices on the call are difficult to decipher, but the call begins with who we can presume is Christy stating, I told you, followed by Jason who can be heard shouting to her, I promise you, please forgive me, I'm sorry. Another voice is heard, Please don't shoot us. And Jason yells, please. Someone is heard saying, I'm sorry, which is presumably Christy. Jason, I will do anything. Jason, Taylor, and Madison can be heard screaming in the background. Jason again is heard. Please don't point that gun at us. Wait, please don't shoot. One of the daughters is heard screaming. Jason is then heard saying, I'm so sorry, I promise you, whatever you want, I will. And before the call is cut off, you can hear Christy saying, it's too late. Shortly following Madison's 911 call, a second call came from Taylor's phone. It captured more screams and shouts, but the words are indiscernible. Corporate 911, do you need police fire or ambulance? Hello? Hello? What is the address? Ma'am? 
Christy then quickly fired a bullet at each of the girls and fired three additional shots, which ended up in the living room walls. Jason managed to run around the sofa and helped his daughters out of the front door of the house, with Christy following close behind. Madison collapsed outside of the house. Jason ran towards the end of their cul-de-sac, and Taylor ran out into the street. Witnesses stated that Jason tried to encourage his daughters to escape their mother as neighbors tried to shelter him to safety. A third 911 call was made by a neighbor of the Sheets who could relay the horror that was unfolding as Christy Sheets chased her daughters outside of their house. Yes, we need an ambulance uh, right away. Two people, people believe, uh, believe they're shot. Okay, stay on the line. Okay, you think they got shot, you say? Yes, yes. Okay. All right, stay on the line. There's, 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 there's a lady with a gun. There's a lady with a gun? Where? Yes. It's coming out of the house right now. Okay. Two people shot outside. Okay. Two people shot outside. Okay, where's the lady with the gun? It's coming out of it's on the street right now. Is she still shooting? Uh, no, it's not shooting, but it's a, the gun is here in her hand. I ran to the back of my house. Okay. Who do you know? Who the lady is? Uh, they're my neighbors. I don't... Okay. And the people that she shot are. are do you know them? Are like no, are ma'am. Her? Okay. They're, the, they're in the street. They're in the middle of the street. But okay. I was long though. It's two people laying in the street. Two people. Two ladies laying in the street. Two females. Okay. Yeah, two females, and there's a guy trying to help them. But the lady is on on the top of one of them with the gun on her hand. Okay, but the the sub the the suspect is on top of one of the females on the street. Yeah, she's 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 on the street, just standing up. She's standing over at one of the patients with the gun. Yes, yes. And uh, it looks like both of them are alive. Both of the child person, okay. ladies, they're they're both alive, but okay. You know, she tried to shot again. She's trying to shoot again on the top of her, but okay. apparently she don't have no more. Apparently she don't have any more bullets. Okay, yeah, I, I do too, sir. Just stay on the line. And let me know what you see. But don't. Okay. I don't she's going. She's going inside. She's going inside the house now. Uh, hopefully, it's not getting any more bullets because she looks like she's going to look for more bullets. Okay. All right, stay on the line. And there's a. I don't know where the guy went, but apparently she's. He's yelling at her, and okay. they're talking back Who and forth. The, the, describe the guy. The guy is, a, is a also, they're all uh, Caucasians. Okay. And is the male she's coming out, also? She's, she's, she's coming back again. She's coming back again. With a, apparently, she has bullets now on her. On her. Okay. Stay, stay on the line. Oh, she shot her again. She shot her she again. She shot her again? Yes. From the back. She's trying to run. She shot. She shot another the female again. That was. Yes, that was laying down on the floor. She okay. shot her from the back. Okay. I can hear. I don't see them anymore. But okay. there's the bullets, and she's she's laying down on the floor now. The female that was shooting is laying down. Yes. Did she shoot herself? I don't know. I don't know. I I just see her down on the floor now, but I don't I don't know what happened. Did she shoot herself? Apparently she did. You think she shot herself? Apparently she shot herself. Yes. Okay. Is she I, don't, I don't see. I don't. 
she's moving, yes. Okay. You know, uh, it doesn't look like she's moving anymore. Okay. Okay, okay. sir, I'm so sorry you're saying this, okay. but just stay on the line. Okay, sir, do you happen to know the names of these people? Do you know your neighbors? Uh, no, I don't know their names or anything. Okay. Okay, uh, she's laying down on, on the floor is still. She, is she still not moving? She's still not moving. Okay. Okay, uh, the deputies arrived already. As Christy came back outside after reloading her gun, she ran up to Taylor as Taylor was trying to run away and shot her again in the back. Taylor was shot by her mother both in the head and back, and Madison was shot once in the neck. As the Fulshire police approached the scene, they could see Christy standing in the middle of the street over one of her daughters. They asked Christy to drop her weapon, which she refused to do. It appeared as if Christy was going to shoot her daughter again. They shot Christy multiple times, and she died at the scene. Madison also died at the scene, and Taylor was taken to Texas Medical Hospital, where she later died. Although Jason had stated that Christy shot at him multiple times, he was not shot or injured during the incident. Jason told authorities that Christy had more than enough time to kill him if she had wanted to, but instead chose to prolong the event and go after their daughters. Jason was taken to the hospital as he suffered from shock, but later spoke with authorities at length about his marriage and what led up to the incident. He stated that it was clear Christy accomplished what she had set out to do, which was to make him suffer for the rest of his life. Christy knew how much Jason loved his daughters and how much they loved him. Christy was described by her close friends as being a devoted and loving mother, that her daughters were everything to her. Christy was 42 years old on that day, Taylor was 22, and Madison was 17. On September 20, 2016, three months after Christy Sheets murdered their daughters, Jason Sheets sat down with Dr. Oz and spoke publicly for the first time about the incident. I can't relive that day. It is the hardest single... There is, there is nothing that compares to it. And I, I always thought I, I had, had it tough. I, I will, I'm happy to talk about my girls and I'm, I'm happy to try and help uh, this from ever happening to someone else because my goal is, is uh, it's like if, if, if you see something so traumatic happen to the people that you love most, the farthest thing, the farthest thing from your mind that you ever want to do is relive that. And no matter what I do, no matter where I run, no matter what I try to occupy my time with, I will never be able to get those thoughts out of my head. But to voluntarily walk down that path on a consistent basis or, or on national TV is just too painful, Jason, and I wouldn't be able to get through it. I'm a dad. I get it. I get it. Can I ask you about your wife and her history? I, I actually will not. I can't speak about her. I, it's, she is beyond. I, I, I have nothing good to say about her. And so um, nobody that loves their children can do that to their children. So I have nothing good to say about it. Why do you think she didn't shoot you? 
I think she planned on it. I think I was just going to be the last one. Because she did shoot at me three times. Why do you think God saved you? I wish he, uh, people will accuse me. I know they'll, they'll automatically accuse me of saying it, but I, I wish he hadn't. I wish he hadn't. I wish he would have saved them and, and uh, I, was, I was gone. I honestly can say that. Um, but since I am here and they were not, that's why I reached out once I was contacted. That's why I reached back out to you guys because I wanted some help trying to find a charity where I could maybe uh, hopefully make it so that this never happens again to anybody ever, which is my one of my greatest wishes is that nobody ever has to experience what I went through. And what more importantly, what my daughters went through, but that no parent ever has to survive their children because of violence in the home. There have been people that have contacted me and told me that they were in relationships that they believe could be dangerous. And so I thought that uh, it was worth me trying, coming on the show to tell them this, that if you are in any kind of relationship where you think that there is any danger to anybody under that roof and you have an instinct to get out, then you need to get out now. You don't need to wait till tomorrow. You don't need to wait till tonight when you can call somebody. Just be gone when they get back. That's my advice if you're in that situation. A private funeral was held in Decatur, Alabama for Madison and Taylor on July 2, 2016. Their mother, Christy Sheets, had a separate service before she was cremated and buried in Alabama. Cynthia Kessler Collier was born on June 21, 1963. She married Randall Collier Sr. in 1982 in Norfolk, Virginia, when she was 19 and he was 22. Over the next 30 years together, they would go on to have three children, two boys, Randall Jr. and Jacob, and one girl, Michelle. They would eventually also adopt four additional children from China between the years 2003 and 2008. Kaylee Lin, Leah Lin, Megan Lin, and Bo Lee. In 2007, Randall and Cynthia began to have marital problems and they decided to separate with Randall moving out of their home two years later. The separation would continue for years with a divorce never actually being finalized. Randall voluntarily relinquished the caretaking of the adopted children to his wife, Cynthia. Cynthia then became the sole caregiver of all four adopted children, with Randall only making one attempt to contact his adopted children over a span of nine years. Although he did not maintain a relationship with the children, Randall did agree to provide Cynthia with monthly support for her and the children in the amount of 11500 each month, 
as Cynthia was a stay-at-home mother and chose to homeschool the children. In 2014, Randall and Cynthia purchased about 36 acres of land in the 1,000 block of Carter's Creek Pike in Columbia, Tennessee, a community about 45 miles south of Nashville. In 2015, they built a beautiful, white, sprawling, 7,500-square-foot, six-bedroom house on the property, which is currently valued at $1.2 million. Randall held out hope for their relationship, but eventually things turned sour once again. Although they had officially separated back in 2009, they didn't officially file for divorce until 2018. Randall requested a restraining order against Cynthia and sought partial custody of the children. In early May of 2018, Randall had requested parenting time with the adopted children, but in a subsequent filing, he had asked the judge to dismiss that request as he had been an absent father for the last nine years. It seemed as if he was trying to regain some form of relationship with them once again. Cynthia argued that he was attempting to force himself back into the children's lives when they were doing perfectly well without him. Cynthia's past family history was also unveiled in the divorce records, indicating that Cynthia had been subjected to a traumatic childhood, having been molested and abused as a child by her parents. Then on May 29th of 2018, two months after filing for divorce, both Randall and Cynthia asked the court to drop the divorce filing with no reason given and to close the case. Around 4.45 p.m. on the Monday afternoon of October 15, 2018, Cynthia's adult son Jacob, who had been living with her at the time along with his adopted siblings, was on his way home from work and decided to call his mother, as was his normal custom when he would leave work. His mother did not answer her phone. He tried his four siblings, who were also at home with her. No one picked up their phone. He called his family members, who also tried to call Cynthia and her children. Still no answer. When Cynthia's son arrived at the home that afternoon, he quickly understood why no one in the home was answering their phones. Inside the home, he discovered the bodies of all four of his siblings, along with the body of his mother, all dead from gunshot wounds. At around 6.19 p.m., Cynthia's son Jacob called 911. Police would arrive at the residence approximately 10 minutes later. Murray 911, where's your emergency? I come home and my, my mother and she has killed herself and my siblings. Okay, so you said you came home and your mother has killed herself? And my younger siblings. Okay, your mother's killed herself and your younger sibling. Are they, they're not breathing? I checked them, they're cold. Okay, all right, stay on the phone with me. I need your address, okay? Okay, is there, so there's, is there anybody else on scene with you? My brother just showed up, he lives down the street. Does anybody have any weapons? Uh, there's, there's a, there's a gun on the floor by her. Okay, gun on the floor by her. Is there any way that y'all could exit the house? I can, I can. Okay. Uh, 
passed. Okay, so she has passed, and are you sure the other sibling has passed also? Okay, I'm so sorry, ma'am. Can y'all go back outside the residence, please? Okay, just. Do you know how old the mother and the sibling is? No, it's four. The, the child's four years old? No, there's four of them. There are four children. There were four of them. Okay, so there's there's going to be four people deceased? There are five deceased. There were four children. Okay, there so there's, so, but none of them's breathing at this time, correct? No, it, it was a gunshot wound. I felt the bodies. I, I'm a doctor. I, I would have done CPR if I could have, but okay. the are cold. Okay, if you could just exit the residence and let me know when you're outside. Do you have a name on the female, the older female? Cynthia Collier. Cynthia Collier. Cynthia Collier. Okay. All right. Are y'all out of the residence? I'm in the garage. I'm outside now. Okay. I'm so sorry. Just stay on the phone with me, okay? What's your name? My name is Jacob. Jacob? Yeah. I'm going to go open. There's a gate that you have to come to. I'm going to go press the button so the authorities can come to Okay. Do you have a code that the gate has to be open with? I'll be outside. If you need someone here, I'll Okay. Do you have the age of the children? I can't believe this. Was she, was she depressed, or do you know why she would have done this? It has to do with my father. Your father? Okay. He's been separated from us for a while, and now he's been gone for like a decade, and now he's starting to come back and take them and take them to a family that's been abusive to us. And it put her depressed and... I, I mean. Okay. I, I don't. Okay, and you said it was over the father know. leaving, you know, decades ago. He left a decade ago, and uh, then he's come back on us, and he's tried to get uh, parental rights. Uh, he he pursued parental rights, and then they, they're trying to work it out. Okay. Do you do you know if by chance I I know it's hard. Do you know by chance if he would show up at the residence or does he live here? No, he doesn't live here. Okay. He doesn't live here. And I don't. Okay. What? And the age is. Did you want the age? It, yes. If you could give me that, that'd be good. <laughs> Just take your time. I'm gonna stay on the phone with you until they get there. Okay. Just take your time. on them, or do y'all live there also? I live here as well. Okay. And I got off work at 445 and called, and I called all the phones over and over again, but no one answered, but it happens sometimes. That's normal life stuff sometimes, but 
But the weapon is still inside, correct? It's by her body. Okay. There's still case. Okay. I think the officer went to the wrong place because I heard it and then it stopped. Okay, they're pulling in. They're pulling in. Okay. When law enforcement arrived, as the actual residence was not visible from the street, they had to first pass two secure gates, which were guarded by a security system, which Jacob describes in the call. Once they reached the home, they were led up two flights of stairs into the sprawling, immaculate home. It was in four different rooms of the house where deputies found the five bodies. 55-year-old Cynthia Collier had fired a total of 34 rounds into her four adopted children using two different guns, which included a shotgun. 17-year-old Kaylee Lynn was discovered on the bathroom floor with 13 gunshot wounds. 15-year-old Leah Lynn was found in her bed with nine gunshot wounds. 14-year-old Megan Lynn was found in her bed with eight gunshot wounds, and their brother, Bo Lee, was found in his bed with four gunshot wounds. Cynthia was also found dead, having suffered from one single gunshot wound to her head. Toxicology tests were conducted on each person at the scene, and no drugs or alcohol were found in any of the victims or in their mother. A handwritten note was found at the residence the contents of which have not been released, but law enforcement indicated that it was very brief and vague and did not provide much detailed information nor a motive for the shootings, but did lead investigators to believe that mental illness could have played a role in the incident and that it did point to murder-suicide. By all indications to the outside world, including family members, Cynthia was a very loving mother who maintained a loving, caring home. There had been no prior domestic instances at the residence prior to that 911 call. Cynthia Collier's obituary went on to describe her as a loving and devoted mother and grandmother, that she was a tender and sweet soul who always put others first. It went on to say that she embodied selflessness, pure love, and a childlike, joyful spirit. Despite the struggles of her life, she sought to live out the will of God. She was adored and treasured by all of her children. The obituaries of the Collier children describe them as loving, smart, and talented, with bright futures ahead of them. Kaylee's obituary described her as a wise young woman of deep thought and astounding biblical knowledge. She was brilliant academically and held the highest of standards for herself in all things. She loved classic country and was passionate about music. She was on her way to becoming an accomplished guitar player and also enjoyed playing banjo and mandolin. Leah was described as unrelenting joy and exuberance, a loving and tender young woman who was always concerned about others' well-being. She loved baking, crafting, and sewing. Gift-giving was something that made her truly light up, a sweet-hearted social butterfly who enjoyed good jokes and teasing. For Megan, it described her as a happy, contented, and dynamic young woman. She loved to laugh and had a bright, fun-loving spirit. 
She dedicated much of her free time to artistic endeavors through sketches and music. She loved playing catchy instrumental songs on her guitar. And Bo's obituary stated that he was a spectacular young man in the midst of developing all the qualities of a great man. He had a brilliant mind, was always one for subtle witty jokes, and enjoyed playful teasing. Much like his siblings, he was very talented musically, playing instrumental songs on his piano, and converting music by ear whenever he wanted. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcast or on your favorite podcast application so you can be sure to catch the next episode. Be sure to check out our website at www.thecrimeshack.com for the latest episodes and show notes. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Crime Shack Podcast and on Twitter at The Crime Shack.